Lead us not into temptation. Dr. Zero. By DJ Chichester, Margaret Clark, Dennis Cohen, and Bill Sikowitz. A Shadowline Saga, bi-monthly, from Epic Comics. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. I am Rick. And I am Carrie. They are rage, brutal, without mercy, but you, you will be worse. Random banter until it is done. Random banter time, buddies. What's going on? Tell me stories about your lives. Is that Mad Max Fury Road? No, it is not. Ah! I will tell you it's a video game. Okay. That recently came out. Nope. <laughs> I know what it is. What is it? I don't know. All right. <laughs> ah, yes, it is the I don't know video game. It's uh, you correctly don't know Jack video game. No, it is uh, it is uh, the opening line from Doom Eternal, ah. which is a shooter that just came out. And why would I pick Doom Eternal uh, line for this random banter intro? I'm thinking because that's what the kids are facing. Just just pure, pure doom. Doom, doom, doom eternal. Also the world. <laughs> also, Doom Eternal and the Doom video games are all about fighting demons. Ah, uh, yes, this is true. This is true. And what goes on in this issue? Spoilers. They fight some demons from Limbo. So uh, that's why I picked that. That is a very, very good choice. Isn't it? Yeah. There are demons in this one, but apparently not too many demons because this time Carrie read this issue. <laughs> yeah, well, this one does not is does not seem as scary as the previous one. I totally understand why uh, Carrie saw the last one and said, "Nope, I'm bagging out." Because honestly, as much as I like that issue, I was ready to walk away from it. It's pretty it's pretty strong. It's an intense issue. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This one is not. But before we talk about this one, you did ask about random banter. And let's see here. So the first thing I think we should say is I think we should timestamp our podcast because we're going to be talking about things and I'm sure it's going to come up a few times, but we are in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis. And so it is April 8th of 2020. In the future, if you listen to some future and you're like, why are they talking about things like this? It's because right now we just are not doing anything. <laughs> um, as far as random banter goes, uh, I am still going to work. I am buried in my work because I work in unemployment insurance. And so I've been going to work early and leaving late and just doing a lot of work. My daughter has been stuck at home for many, many weeks by herself. And we just found out today that school is out for the rest of the year. No more school this year. So we're working on school some... School year. Yep. Yep. For the school year. So we're working on some distance learning and, you know, making sure that she's staying smart up above. And she's also having some online communication with her friends, right? Right. And so she's staying in contact with people that way. It's not too bad. Oh, but and speaking of contact with my friends, yeah, me and my friend Mason, we do Skype meetings together. And um, last time we did a Skype meeting and we tried to do um, a copy of a podcast, but it didn't turn out very well. No, you can't just <laughs> you can't just willy nilly make a podcast. You need to plan this out. You need to have the right equipment. You need to build soundproofing in your basement. Yeah, do whatever you want to do. Make yourself happy. Do your best. Keep trying. Okay. 
<laughs> now, besides that, we're just trying to uh, do what we can around here, you know, do a lot of stuff around the house, uh, get caught up on a few things here and there. I went out bike riding with my daughter yesterday after I got home from work. So that's what we've been doing. How about how about you in the uh, bricked up, boarded up house that you live in? A thing that's going on with me is that I'm in the middle of having some dental work done. Hmm. And I'm going to be in the middle of having some dental work done for a while. I'm having a, a crown put in. And so I had them, you know, they did the cast. They ground down, they put a temporary on that I never really liked. And then two days later, the temporary crown popped off. I'm all, hey, they need to do something about that. So I called them and then never heard back. So I called them and then I never heard back. And then about a week later, I heard back and they're like, yeah, we're, we're shut down. And uh, we're in, I'm in the office like one day a week. And so I'm answering calls. So uh, here, let me tell you about all your appointments that are canceled. <laughs> I'm like, cool. So I got a little stump tooth in the back that is uh, waiting for some attention. Have you thought about just some silly putty and some uh, aluminum foil? Hmm. No, I haven't because I'm not a dentist, which is apparently what they do and how they use it and how they make things. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that a little bit of ingenuity on your part can solve this problem. You probably are right. I'm just going to ride with stump tooth for a little while. So. <laughs> I think you're missing an opportunity. I think you are missing yeah, an opportunity probably. here, man. Yeah, I could be making an art project in the back of my mouth. It'd be Ex- great. Exactly. I, here's another <laughs> idea. Your daughter's losing teeth right now. Look for one that's just about the right size, grinding out a little bit, put it on top. Done, done, done. Ah, you're many years off from her losing teeth. They're coming in, not going away. Oh. Hmm. How about Hillary? Is Hillary losing any teeth? I don't know. I just uh, I just got to see if they're heavy sleepers and go at them with a pair of pliers, and then we'll find out. I'm just saying, man, <laughs> you make your own luck in this world. <laughs> I see the Leatherman with the little snippy snaps on it. All right. I think we have enough gallows humor going on. I think we should move on to this lovely, lovely issue we're going to talk about with our wonderful guest star that we have. And uh, the only way we can do that is if you give us the two cents replay of last episode. Jim and Maggie take center stage as their kids are out sick and the city is overrun with a heat wave, a garbage strike, and demons from limbo in this Inferno event tie-in issue, which features the demonic return of Douglas Carmody, a.k.a. the Boogeyman. An entropy apartment, a burst sewage filled hot water pipe, demonic mildew, and a possessed attack radio is enough to convince the power parents that it is time to get out of Dodge. But that, unfortunately, leads them right into the demonically mutated claws of the Boogeyman, who forces the kids to out their super personas in an attempt to save their parents' lives. Now that the, forget about it, Jake, it's Inferno Town, (laughs) two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. And as we've stated previously, we have our own little system going on for making sure that I can get Jeff a beer and he doesn't know what it is. I have cleverly wrapped up his beer in pretty, pretty little brown paper bags. And so now he gets to unwrap one of those. Here we go. It says episode 56, Boogeyman Must Die. And, ooh, fancy wax top on that. What do we got? Double Mountain 2015, Devil's Coovey Creek. Mmm. I wonder why. It's uh, a, a creek. So cherries. What do cherries have to do with this issue? What does Coovey have to do with it? I don't know. Maybe the Coovey is a demon's name from Limbo. Oh, wait. It's the big word devil and the fact that on the bottle is a uh, a dude that's red with horns. He's a devil. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I think I figured out the tie-in. I couldn't help when I go went by this one because it's very cool. Plus, it's got the wax top on the top, and, yeah. and it just looks very, very cool. And nine point five percent alcohol by volume, twelve IBU. 
Yeah, this sounded very, very interesting to me. And like you said, this is from Double Mountain Brewery and Taproom. And their little thing about it says, We are proud to release the Devil's Coulee Creek, an oak barrel-aged Devil's Creek Belgian-style sour ale brewed with cherries. This labor-intensive sour ale has been quoted as the best version yet by beer bloggers. And inciting cries of, darn, that's good, from across the bar. You can <laughs> you can now get it in the barrel-aged goodness of the Double Mountain Taproom throughout the Northwest and parts of Southern California. So if you're in that area, check it out. Oh, that's nice. It's got a little opener for the wax. That's always the thing on a lot of wax bottles that gets me where it's just like, oh, thanks for the wax top that I got to fight my way through. <laughs> this has a story time on it as well, which says carefully selected Devil's Creek from 2015, aged on Hood River Valley Bing and Van Cherries, was given extra time in new French oak barrels and blended with a small portion of next year's creek. Two years in the making for this complex and lovely brew. Well, I like creeks, so let's see how this one tastes as soon as I can continue to open the bottle yeah you do that i'll talk about how wonderful the cherry smell is okay oh, and actually we should say uh carrie what is your beverage of choice tonight not a beverage correction it's water that water is a beverage it is oh i thought you were talking about like soda or something no no a beverage is anything that you are drinking you are drinking water that is a beverage of choice so right now i'm drinking air but you brought water down right i know but right 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 now <laughs> What does the air smell like? It smells like air. <laughs> I am smelling a very nice cherry aroma. And uh, as Jeff is going to probably tell you, and I'll go ahead and start telling, it reminds me of like a uh, soda. It reminds me like of a, uh, a cherry Coke, if you will, as far as kind of like the brown, dark uh, view through it. That's got some great red in it when you pour it, too. Right, and I, I was saying the cherry Coke because you just see just a little bit of the red, but it just reminds me of like a soda color got that caramelized look glaze through it but yeah it's got the very pungent alcohol taste i can kind of the, the sour smell in there as well yeah not too bad yeah it looks like a dr pepper really mm, mm -hmm. is how i discovered <clears throat> that's how i described the coloration of it and very strong alcohol and cherry kind of smell mm -hmm. to it that that kind of well you know that alcohol chemical uh kind of smell for the cherries there's a the, you get that feeling for the sour already and once you taste mm. it Definitely like a sour. Yeah, that pulls the tongue in on itself pretty quick. It's quite tasty. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. The sour cherry type of flavor in the back instead of the sweet taste. Not as strong of alcohol hit as I thought. No, like you were saying, when you kind of, you, you know, it aerosolizes and you're you're getting the aromas from it, you're like, that is really strong uh, alcohol smell. And then, yeah, the taste is just very much that sour cherry kind of flavor going on and really nothing on the alcohol at all, which is kind of nice. We, we can sit here and talk more about this. We'll talk a little bit more about it at the end. But Carrie's giving me a look like, I'm bored, Daddy. I want to get on with the book. And you know what, Carrie? I agree with you. I think we should get on with the book. By the way, my water smells like water. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Jeff, the opening credits, if you please. Power Pack, issue number 43, January 1989. Revenge of the Boogeyman, part two. The Boogeyman must die. Credits. John Bogdanov wrote without distraction. John Bogdanov and Sal Valudo penciled to good reaction. Stan Drack, Al Williamson, and company inked in fractions. Joe Rosen, lettered in the captions. Glennis Oliver, colored this attraction. Carl Potts, can't get no satisfaction. Tom DeFalco, chief of hoo-ha action. 
Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, aka Destroyer, who blasts with photo reaction. Julie Power, aka Molecula, Mistress of Density, who changes her fractions. Jack Power, aka Counterweight, who affects gravity's attraction. Katie Power, aka Starstreak, who flies with refractions. Yes, starring Maggie and Jim Power, who just found out that their kids have superpowers. The Boogeyman. Once was a gross evil man, then he got grosser. Now he is just a gross evil demon. Well, parents now know the kids have powers, so 42 issues. It was a good run while it lasted, but I guess it's over now. That's the show, folks. Good night. Time to pack up. Make sure you turn off the lights when you leave. Oh, come on. I think we can find more stuff to talk about. You know, the Peck's parents are still in demonic danger. An interesting argument you bring up. We did leave the family in a stuffy elevator with a demonic blob holding their necks. And the kids did costume on. It would be a shame not to see what they will do now that they got all dressed up. First thing we should point out is that the Boogeyman having forced the kids to reveal their super secret super selves, not done torturing the family yet. No siree! He wants to have some more fun. I've waited a long time for this! I've only begun to make you suffer. So, with a maniacal laugh and a vertical hop, the alabaster, aggressively antagonistic abomination absconds with the alarmed and arrested adults. And that is an alliterative Alonzi. The kids fly up the elevator shaft with the retreating retrobate and try to parlay some plans. Well, Julie tries to organize while Katie and Jack have resorted to homicide first, maybe remorse later. Alex is on Julie's side, but as he is trying to power up, Katie pulls a Leroy Jenkins and follows after Julie to catch Carmody, leaving the two boys stuck on the roof. That doesn't matter to Jack, though. He just wants Alex to power up faster, pussycat, so they can kill, kill, kill. Katie has caught up with the big creep. It notices that the demonic body just glops onto buildings, and then oozes up the walls to the roof. And she sees that her parents are so frantically trying to fight the big bad. Even though their struggles are having the same outcome as trying to eat healthy during the holidays. Not waiting for her siblings to make sure she has enough chi in her power-up bar, she flies in fast and attempts a flying Captain Kirk sidekick on the parents' kidnapping creep. Go on and drop them, you mean ugly old monster! They never did anything to hurt you! They hurt you, didn't they, filthy mutant brat? Her foot squelches into the back of the villain, and for her troubles, she receives a not-so-friendly backhand, sending her flying through the air and giving her a bloody lip. Ah, Katie, Katie, Katie. Such a childish move. Not the actions we would expect from a five-year-old. Hmm. You know, actually, it is. The hit momentarily knocks her out, but she shakes off her punch drunk like the champion she is. With tears in her eyes, she exclaims, Let go of my parents, Carmody! And with that, another secret identity gets revealed to the power parents. Until now, Jim and Maggie did not realize that this was Carmody, Jim's old boss. Or, as old Potato Head puts it, the fatherly friend and confidant that gave Jim his big break in private industrial applied physics. The generous old soul that Jim repaid by stabbing him in the back. Uh, I don't remember events happening quite like that. Yeah, this is Carmody spouting off alternative facts faster than a DJ kicking out sick jams. He doesn't believe that friendly aliens destroyed the antimatter power generator because he was going to blow up the Earth. Nah, what he believes in is that he lost his company and a fortune when the power kids came in and stuck their little noses into his business. But now, his business plan does involve the powers because... That business is... Revenge! Revenge. 
The rest of the pack finally catch up, and Julie clouds the area so that they can grab their parents while Jack makes a sneak attack grab onto Carmody. What Jack discovers is, much like catching a bowl of oatmeal, you cannot really grab this demonized dastardly dude. Yep, our reader's eye view of the scene shows that Carmody has turned into a formless blob and has oozed away with the parents to a hidden part of a different building. This does give us a good idea as to what the demons transformed him into, though. Really? And, uh, what pray tell is that? Well, Rick, I'm glad you asked. See, Nastir had said that he was going to chew away everything human about Carmody, and then he also said that Carmody was quite greasy. So, my guess is that Nastir transformed him into a mass of sentient, demonic fat. So, every time we said that Carmody was a tub of lard? Yes. We were prognosticating the future. Way to go us, I guess! Meanwhile, in a galaxy far, far away... Home of the Space Stable Spaceship Servicing Space. Thanks to some exposition by Lord Yurik and his son Kofi, we find out that they have been summoned to Spaceport K7 by Byroll to discuss matters most important, the repair and well-being of the Smartship Friday. Since the Smartship's body has been destroyed on Snark World, during the Snark Wars, Friday's spark, or soul, if you will, was held on. But now with the repairs and improvements nearly being complete, Friday's glow is waning. This mystifies the hard hat wearing space OSHA complying Chimelian techno healers that have been working on the beloved smart ship. They fear that if the cause of the decline cannot be found and set aright, that the spirit and essence of Friday will disappear for good. Which is bad. Yes, Rick, that is very bad. Interlude over. Back in demon-infested New York, the pack are walking through a strange and warped version of the Big Apple, where landmarks are unrecognizable, and the air is so hot and smelly that you can barely push your face through it. You could say <laughs> that the Big Apple has gone <laughs> pear-shaped. Dad joke alert! The fact that the pack can't find their parents with all of the changes that have been wrought upon the city, let alone themselves, has brought Katie to the tipping point and she flies off. What is it gonna matter if we can't save her mom and papa? I'm going to have another look. I'm sick of you guys. Oof. This triggers a random encounter with three demons looking for babies who have grabbed Katie right mid-flight. He's baby. No, too big, too much hair. So he eats it, yes. Too old for Master Nastir, but still tender morsel for us. Realizing that their little sister is about to become a roadside snack for a pack of way out of towners, the rest of Power Pack jump into the fray. No way, you disgusting slime ball. I guess our sister Katie didn't tell you she has a couple of real mean big brothers. And a mean big sister. Now for those listeners who have forgotten why there are limbo demons in New York, Jeff is going to provide a short synopsis. All the demons from limbo, they went from there to there. They came to Times Square, they're here for Sim to rise. They think they've got it right, but Nestor isn't on Sim's team. That is really not what I meant, but whatever. Having put the beat down on the hungry heap of homunculi, the family gathers around the teary-eyed Katie and gives her the comfort and support that anyone would want in their time of need. That is to say, they start to do that right up until Julie notices a giant gang of Golgothan gremlins gathering, grabbing and gouging at a group of humans. One of the demons rips a baby from its mother's arms, and this triggers an already triggered Katie to vent her tears and, and go in for the rescue. No! 
you can't have him, you, you poop heads. As the rest of the pack leap into action to rip and tear into the horde, Alex is overwhelmed by the sheer number of foes that he is facing. As he is dragged to the ground with a demon's clawed hand around his throat, he realizes that just one powerball won't cut it against so many beasts. He wishes that he could... Could... Could what? Do something like this, I suppose. Shracked! 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 Zot! Boom! Zot! Biao! Pow! Zang! Kaboom! Ah! You mean shoot out eight smaller, less lethal powerballs at once instead of one big one! That is exactly what he has done. This gives Alex a confidence boost that is way over 9,000. Woohoo! I'll have this place cleared out in no time! That's great for Alex and all, but Julie gets hit with a negative status effect from watching her older brother develop a new power, watching her younger brother lay out demons with his Posse G Super Punch, and watching her five-year-old younger sister carry the mom and her baby off to safety. I mean, all she has is her self-called stupid Julie hammer that she can't even aim right. No wonder Jack thought it was a lame power. Having saved the day and almost completing this optional side quest, the impatiently waiting avatar of the main questline, Carmody, pops up and reminds them about what is what. Hey, Corpse, aren't you forgetting something? Oh, hey, that's right. He kidnapped their parents and is threatening to kill them. I bet he is going to drop them off a building or something any minute now. Yep, any minute now. Alex surmises that Carmody is taunting them, playing with them like a cat plays with something small and furry. A mouse? Sure, if you're into that sort of thing. Well, Alex and the pack are too smart for that. They are seasoned pros by this point. So, with a renewed confidence and a leadership attitude and a can-do spirit, Alex sends Katie on ahead in a purely observational capacity while they finish putting the bow on the demons that they have been fighting. Don't worry, Alex. I won't be dumb. Saving mom and dad is all that counts. You guys don't need me here. I'll follow Katie. Come on, Jack. Let's finish this up fast. Go on, you monsters. Beat it. We ain't got time for you. You know, it's always nice and fun when you have been adventuring for a while and have leveled up enough that you can have the low-level challenge rating encounter that you can raffle stomp. Yep, but those poor demons are nowhere near Power Pack's level now. You know who is above their level, though? Who? Carmody. And by that, I mean that he is way up on the side of the Empire State Building with the Power Parents in tow, taunting the absent pack and the present Katie. What's the matter, you brats? Don't you even want to know if they're dead yet or not? What's keeping ya? Shut up, you! Ah, feeling guilty, kid. Guilty for leaving poor old mommy and daddy in the clutches of big, bad boogeyman while you were off doing your little superhero thing. Where's your sense of responsibility, you ungrateful little snot? Don't you ever bother to think of your own family before going off selfishly gallivanting? Ah! <laughs> I hate you! Red. The rest of the familiar four show up at this stage and are just in time to get a piece of this verbal thrashing pie. The pie's flavors are, you were too slow, I killed your parents, actually I just beat them up some, but they told me that they wish you were never born. I do not like these pies. They do not taste good to me. Julie agrees, and she wants to know why Carmody hates them so much. Well, he hates them because not only did they ruin his business, his marriage, and his life, but they have the audacity to act all ootsie-poo, lovey-dovey, close and cuddly, all the time! And it is fake! 
fake, 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 and it makes him sick. You know, I'm beginning to think that Carmody has some deeper-rooted problems other than being turned into a demonic blob of goo. I know, right? Julia's onto this as well. I mean, why doesn't he just leave now that he has won? Their lives are ruined, parents traumatized. What else does he want? A blue participation ribbon? A cookie? Merit raise for the most successful demonic triumph? No, he just wants one more thing. To twist their parents' heads off in front of them and see the kids' faces while he does it. As disturbing as that would be, it does activate Jack and Alex's trap card. Jack fastball specials Alex onto the creep with a threat of disintegration. This in turn causes Carmody to react by casually tossing the parents over the side of the New York landmark. Well, like Thanos, that was inevitable. Now the scientist and artist and parents of four are falling to their deaths. The two team flyers go after them, but Katie knows she can only carry one of them. Julie closes her eyes and wishes for Annette or something to catch your parents before they become a permanent part of Broadway. New York may be overrun with demons, but there appears to be a few wish-granting angels around as well. Or dungeon masters allowing mid-game leveling and power upgrades, because bubbles flow from the cloudy girl's outstretched palms, creating a cushion of air that captures the plummeting parents. Julie, you did it! It's a bubbly force field like the one that Whitey made, remember? Oh, you saved them, Julie! You saved Mom and Dad! Hooray! Back on the roof, the two boys turn the relief and not untimely demise of Ma and Pa into... Revenge! Against the big bad. Punching and powerballs ensue as much as the insults and mocking. In fact, Carmody points out that it does not matter what the boys do to him. They will not cross that step to actually kill him. Because they don't have the guts for it. Well, there's only so far that you can push a team before they will break. And with Jack aching him on, Alex just about reaches it. But before he can unleash that one powerful, life-ending blast, Jim Power stops him. The two girls have returned to the battle with Jim and Maggie, and just in time it appears. Jim goes over to Alex and stops his son, trying to convince him that killing is not an option. There has to be another way. No, you don't understand. He'll destroy this family. This passionate scream shocks the family and pleases Lord Lard. This is what he wanted, the family broken, arguing. It is epitomized by Maggie's despair over how they could have missed their kids having powers. Jim agrees. They are a family. They communicate. Families communicate! We are at the part where Julie tees off on her dad, telling him that they did not tell them about their powers because they knew they would react. And then she runs off. At the height of this dramatic tension, with the boogeyman laughing and Julie crying on the other side of the building, Maggie has a sobering moment. And dragging Katie across the balcony, she joins Julie. It is a touching scene where Maggie brings up the talk that she and Julie had way back in Power Pack number 5, where Julie asked what they would do if Julie sprouted wings and can fly. Maggie gets it now, and she still loves them. They both do. Jim, grabbing Alex's head, picks up the mantra and tells his son that he loves him too. But what about Jack? Why is he not in on this? Well, probably because he has been holding the boogeyman up in the air this whole time, maintaining a stun lock. Well, Carmody isn't going to take this lying down, or I guess floating around, whatever it is he's doing. No, sir. He still has words to throw at his loving assault victims. No, no. This is all just fakey fake. It's all lies. Jack has had just about enough of this, so with a careless toss... Lump. Shut up, potato face! He drops the dork and joins his father and brother for a family hug 
and cry. Seeing the family holding each other, talking it out, and professing their love for each other, no matter what, is too much for the immoral antagonist. He shouts at them that the kids are monsters, and they are what's wrong with the world today. Kids have to earn their parents' love. And if you didn't live up to what they expected of you, then forget it, you fat little pig! Hmm. Me thinks that I am beginning to see what is really at the center of Carmody's issues. You are not the only one. Now that James has hugged it out with the fam, he is ready to take the two-bit demonic gas bag down a peg or two. Advancing with all of the power of a middle-aged scientist, he informs Carmody that he should take a good look at himself. As insane as this approach is, he is correct. Carmody has been spouting humanity-only rhetoric from his demonic mouth. He has sacred his soul in order to take down those he calls inhuman. But, as James points out his reflection in a window, it all comes crashing in. Yes, he sees what he has become. And, well, I did not think this was possible, but Carmody actually snaps a little bit further. With a scream of anguish, he plows through the family and does a swan dive into the chaos below. The street opens up into a canyon of fire and accepts the demon into its warm bosom. Wow, that was kind of beautiful and horrific. It's time to go home, and the kids treat their parents to a ride on the Power Pack Express. The kids are pretty smug and proud about showing off their powers. The parents are, hmm, what's the word? Petrified. Yes, but they're trying. They're in shock, but they're trying to get it. Arriving back in their neighborhood, they discover that it looks like it is back to normal, like whatever is happening in New York is starting to pass. And getting to their apartment, they find that it is just messy, but normal and safe. It makes for a nice happy at home moment. And it is right up until Alex announces that they have to go back out. Good. I have a hunch it'll be safe to leave you folks here for a while after all. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes there, pal. Okay. First of all, he called his parents folks. Second, why are they going back out after all they have just been through? Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked. You know, there are demons out there and people need saving. Even people like the Tiger King. You are not one of those. Oh, yes, I am. But I digress. The kids convince their parents that heroes got a hero. And then they hug them goodbye. The parents watch as their children fly away, saying that it's okay, really, and not to worry about them. They'll be fine. Then the camera turns, and we see the faces of the parents. Faces racked with fear and shock and tears. The end? No way. The boogeyman is gone, but his revenge has hardly begun. If it's the last comic you ever buy, you must read part three, next-ish. Next issue, Breakaway. Power pack packaging from the quarantine zone. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Wrap on your mask. Make sure you got your little gloves on. Pick up that power pack book. And uh, I guess you should have also, you know, washed your hands first. Then, but ah, uh, you know what I mean. Anyways, let's talk about the cover of this book. We have got another cover here that's drawn by Bog and Barda. Jeff, describe that cover for us, please. It's got colors on it and some people. Jeff, do a better job of describing that cover, please. <laughs> there is the power pack, and they are looking rage and tearful and like like they're avenging some dead parents. Because on a broken door frame and broken door are what appears to be two dead parents. Their parents, in fact, lying on the floor in front of them. And Katie is being held back by a rage-filled Alex, and Katie's just 
filled with tears and she's just reaching for her parents while Julie and Jack go on the offensive of this giant demon lard head of uh, Carmody that's going on in the background. And it's all a kind of a magenta magenta background otherwise it's it's a great looking cover but it really just does oh and what's also neat on this is in the bottom right hand corner is like a torn newspaper article that says an introduction to xavier school gifted youth program and it's all kind of torn up and burnt it really makes it seem like oh yeah boogeyman killed the power parents and the kids are gonna avenge and then go off to xavier school because they have nowhere else to live yeah, it's a very, very cool cover. It says a lot that's in there. It's It's got everything you need to know. The kids are fighting Boogeyman. The parents are in danger. Are they going to go to Xavier School? I think that's kind of a nice little throwaway that, you know, this is an X kind of issue and it makes you think about the new mutants and makes you think about their friendship with the new mutants and the offer that, you know, maybe they can go there and learn now that, that they're out as, you know, special kids, even though they're not mutants, you know, they're gifted kids. So it's it's very cool. It's another it's another great issue by by yeah. Bog and Barda. I mean, I like those two guys. They they do a wonderful wonderful job. I mean, the kids also kind of have a standing invite to come and train and go to the school. Anyway, it's it's like right, right. the mutants don't care that they're not mutants. They're just like, hey, these are peers and they have powers and come on over. This would be great. So yeah, it'll be fun. What do you think about the uh, cover, Carrie? I like you guys said. I think it's pretty representative of the book and with katie all tearful that actually suits her mood in this issue is that's great that's a good very good point carrie it she's very emotional during this issue she's kind of flying off the handle a lot (laughs) she's the flyer she she's reacting a lot and just seeing her real heavy emotions that really fits in with what she's she's like in this issue that's very well done good job um same with the others mostly yeah because jack's like kill 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 (laughs) Kill, kill, kill. And of course, the uh, boogeyman must die. That is a very uh, central theme to what this issue is talking about as well. It's kind of the the struggle that the boys, especially Alex, has to go through. You know, should he kill him or should he not? He's the he's the destroyer. Will he actually do it or not? Technically, he didn't quite do it. No, looks like boogeyman took his own life, right? Well, let's let's talk about some more of the art and let's get into talking about that uh, boogeyman's death as well. The art in this book. There are two artists and at least two inkers. Now, usually this spells trouble. Whenever you have multiple artists, multiple inkers, it kind of says, hey, this was an all hands on deck. This is kind of bad. This was done at the last minute. And, and it could be many things. It could be that, you know, there are deadlines that were missed or there were just, there was something going on that they had to get a lot of people. I don't know the entire story behind it, but this was in the middle of the Inferno storyline. And there's probably a lot of things that had to line up. There couldn't be any missed deadlines. So, I just think that that's probably the reason why it's not as great art as we saw in the last issue, which might be why this one might have been delayed and leading to other people. But I think that it's pretty tight, especially with the number of the, the two artists that were working on the inside and the number of inkers. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts on that as well? What did you think of the art, Carrie? <laughs> I liked it. And since I didn't quite see last issue's art that much, you know, I was like... <laughs> Uh, let me just think about what it looks like. <laughs> and then I'm like, um, now I'd rather not. As far as the art in this book, did you have any problems with it? Or did you think anything was weird? No, not really. What about you, Jeff? You can kind of tell there's a little bit of a shift in what the art looks like. Uh, it's, it's not bad. It's not really noticeable if you didn't notice that there were a couple of artists involved with it. 
Characters can kind of shift around in their appearance a little bit, but honestly, it, it's pretty tight. And there is actually quite a lot of good, good art in here as well. There is. I, I can tell one part in particular where you know there's a definite difference, and that's where they do the interlude with the chameleon uh, homeworld or the chameleon uh, space mm -hmm. station. Because those two pages, it's in a different place. It's not in the demon world or the demon world of New York, but there is a definite feeling difference. There's a different plot difference. It just moves in a different way, and I, I, I can really tell that that's was done by somebody different than who did the the interior the rest of the interior arts. That was just my kind of feeling. Okay, I could also see that as just being that since it's everything in there is alien from the spaceships to the horse people to the alien planets to the repair bays and everything that it would have it's going to have mm. a different feel anyway sure so it just seems that the drawing style and it, it may just be the fact that it was much cleaner than to how messy and how disheveled new york it was, could be that but like i said it just it just it really felt i could feel the difference in art styles yeah, it's there. it's it, that's kind of a a, a funny two-page insert in there as well i mean it it works yeah because it just you know it's uh you know, just the page before that is when Power Pack first faced off with Carmody, and Carmody just oozed mm -hmm. away with the parents and is like telling them, "Hush, or I'm gonna pop your heads." And so then you have a little, little and interlude, then and then boom, you know, at the beginning of that, after it's done, is uh, the family wandering New York trying to find their parents. So right. it, it's a good place for it, but it is drastically different than everything else that's going on in the story. However, uh, Friday, it dealt with Friday and the Chimelians, and that's awesome because we love all of them. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's setting the stages for what's coming out in yeah. the future. It's uh, the next plot line. It's the next storyline. So what's coming up next? Well, there's a couple of underlying issues here. There's there's two big ones that we've got. First underlying issue is the lying about the powers because of how the parents mm -hmm. react. And we finally get to see... How they react. Yeah, after the initial shock of, oh my gosh, we're being held captive by a giant demon who used to be my old boss. Uh, oh my gosh, New York is running over by demons. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we're going to die. Our kids have powers. Okay, let's get back yeah. to that kids have powers thing. <laughs> there was a lot going on at that point. Is the that the problem is is yeah. that it didn't get to be broached or broken to them. It got just like it was just throw it on to the to the barn fire. Everything's burning. Everything is on fire. Also, everything is on fire. Here's more fire. Bravo to the boogeyman. He finally was able to like, yeah. okay, I've caused enough chaos. Let's bring it down a bit. <laughs> Let's bring it down. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. Okay. Your kids have yeah. powers. What do you think about that? And and then we get the parents' reaction. I, I still think it would have been hilarious if he's like, you know, he's, the, the, the reveal happens. And because and, boogeyman on the front page is basically recapping the end of the previous episode issue and going, yeah, you didn't know it, but your children are power pack. And I would have loved it if the parents were like, who? <laughs> we have business cards mom and dad <laughs> come on yeah so the initial reaction is shock horror oh my gosh we're a family we communicate uh, what, I, what do you guys think of that what do you think about how the parents reacted was it do you think it's right how they reacted if i had powers and i didn't tell you guys i'm pretty sure it's almost how you guys would react <laughs> Possibly, possibly, we might freak out a little bit. That could happen at the, first. At and then first, you'll be like, and then you'll calm down. I'm trying to imagine you yelling at me, and I'm like, well, you yell at me sometimes, but yeah. like really, really, <laughs> really, really yelling at me. It's one of the weird things. It's it's 
their family style is very much a, we talk things out in this family, we don't have secrets. I, I want to say this in a kind way, but it's, it's a, it's a hippy dippy family. Carmody's a little right that they are, they're very lovely. They're very cutesy. They're very much a Brady bunch, if you will, ask a mm-hmm. little bit. Their entire view and Jim and Maggie for good or bad, they have a way of just looking at the kids and looking at situations in a very positive tone. They really think that their kids, they, they, they know they have good kids and they're surprised that they didn't tell them and they're surprised that they were oblivious and didn't mm-hmm. know. So their initial reaction was one of shock and anger and disappointment. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's how a parent would act, especially if a child grew powers. Children <laughs> um, had powers, never thought to tell them, and fought bad guys. What about you, Jeff? What do you What are your thoughts? Yeah, it seemed that they were less upset about their kids having powers and more upset that they didn't notice anything was going on. It's like they're yeah. they're not upset with their kids; they're upset with themselves for not noticing anything. They're like, "This is yeah. a huge thing. How could we not have had any inclination?" And you know, Katie's like, "Well, we kept it secret from you." And it's like, "That's not the point. We're your parents. We should know." So I think it was a lot more along the lines that they were they were disappointed in themselves that they had they were so oblivious as parents that they didn't notice. Oh, this makes sense. While we're always being kidnapped by monsters and space aliens and all this stuff is going on. So that's why they disappeared. Yep. They probably put a lot of that together, too. Yeah, so it was just them being hit with a whole lot of stuff at the same time. Again, like I had said earlier, if it had been able to be broken to them in a more calm setting, they would have had more resources to be able to kind of like, okay, let me think about this for a minute. i got to ponder, okay, how long have you had the powers? Really? So the Kynelians... Mm -hmm. Gave you power. Oh, wow. Okay, this is starting to make a lot of sense. But they're just dealing with a huge amount of stuff. Disappointed in themselves and kind of overwhelmed with, like, a city's worth of turmoil. And you can even see um, Maggie's like, what kind of parents are we? Yeah. But then Maggie does have a second take on it. And she she has a moment where Julie runs off and she has a moment to kind of find her center, to think about it a little bit, and to go over and... and Comfort her daughter and realize that the conversations that her daughter has obliquely had with her, some of the things that have occurred, it all starts to make sense. And she she wants to tell her kids that, okay, fine, we're hit with this, but you know what? I still love you. I need time to process this. I need to work through this, but I will work through it and we will still love each other. And she starts having that conversation. And Jim has that same kind of awakening. I, I give I give Maggie all oh, yeah. the credit in the world because I think Jim might have kept on raveling out of control, but I think it was Maggie's stop. Um, let's yeah. motherly instinct kick in a little bit, dragging Katie over there. Yeah, with her. she brought it all back. She brought it back around. And so they had the moment that they came back around. If Maggie was a child, <laughs> then um, she would be my best child. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sure, she was kind of a little bit hard on her, herself and her husband at first, but then she's like, okay, uh, let's figure this out. Really, um, I still love you, even even if you have p- these powers that you never told us about. Yep. I think what it kind of boils down to is that she realized that even though this is occurring while she's president, she's like, this isn't about me. This is about my children. You know, and it's like all parents kind of have to do at some point, have to go, this isn't about me, but this is about my kids. I need to go there and be there for them and let them have their moment, yep. let them have their time. This isn't my time. This is theirs. I need to be present for their needs. Yeah. Okay, so that's what how you are like with me? I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. I try to make sure that, you know, if I get mad at you, I try to step back and think about what's on your side. But then I'm also trying to teach you things as well. And sometimes I do lose my temper. Sometimes <laughs> I have to remember that 
you're a kid and I'm a parent. I have to think about what it was like when I was a kid. It's hard sometimes. Look way, 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 way back. Hey, how old do you think I am? (laughs) Really old, like 20 or something. (laughs) So we have a second theme, and that's the second big theme, and that's Carmody's reason. Why is he doing this? I mean, we have seen Carmody. We have grown up in this book with Carmody and his, his anger towards the power family. He hates the power family because they are a loving family, and that's how they finally break him at the end. But we also find out what's beyond all that. I mean, we've seen Carmody's business get ruined. We've seen Carmody take this irrational hatred of the power kids and turn it into, it's Ahab hunting his whale. You know, why is he going after these kids? We start to infer that the thing that he hates most about them is not their powers. It's not what they did to him. It's that these are kids who are coming from a loving family. We infer that he came from a real broken home. Yeah. (laughs) That's my thought. That's my thesis. Welcome to my TED Talk. No, it's very true because, I mean, just, you know, from his input where it's just, you know, when Jim grabs him and says, look at yourself, you know, this is a face that only a mother could love. And he's like, you know, kind of whispering to himself, he's like, not my mother, not my family, you know, not my parents. They couldn't love a face like this. And that's when he starts going off where he's just like, you know, if you, if you, you had to earn your parents' respect, otherwise it was, you know, you get called a fat little piggy and it's basically no way. It's like, sadly, this is a reality in not a few households where it's just like the parents resent their children. The children have to try and strive, you know, way past where a child should to try and earn their parents' love where, you know, a parent's love should be an unconditional thing towards a child up to a point where they, where they've ticked you off enough that you're like, no, but uh, (laughs) I demand utter respect from my child. I can tell and you get it. What it did not come across the podcast was the look that I just got from my child. <laughs> but no, so it, it is. He came from a terrible upbringing, is what it sounds like. And yes. you know, it's kind of, a lot of these people. The pain that they suffered, they want other people to suffer as well. If uh, if people aren't as miserable as they are, then they're fake because they're pretending when in reality they should be miserable, just like like that person is. Carmody kind of also really has like a revisionist history that he tells. Sure, that's part of it as well, is that he, he needs to make what's happened fit into the worldview yeah. he's got. He worked for everything he got. He had to work for the love of his parents. He had to work for his company. He was taken apart by these kids whose parents just love him no matter mm-hmm. what. And and that doesn't fit in his reality, so he's going to have to lie about it. He's going to have to redo it. He's going to have to remake it. Not unlike he remade himself into a demon. Again, he didn't remake himself. He was kind of force remade. He he remade himself into a yes. uh, apparently you know a fit person with uh, flying power armor. But this is kind of what he wanted. Yeah, basically to be powerful enough to gain you know to get his revenge upon his foes, to gain the respect yeah. that he feels that he deserves, to be able to get the revenge that he knows he needs. So there's a lot of that. But it, you know, like I was saying, even with his revisionist history, it, when he's talking about how much money he spent on the antimatter uh, power converter thing, he was like, "I spent mm-hmm. a fortune, a mega fortune." You know, it's just like. Every little detail is going to get larger and larger. It's going to become... Right. Look at how more of a victim of he, that he is. This destroyed my business. This cost me all of my money. This cost my marriage. Odds are the marriage was probably a little shaky in the, you know, with him anyway. <laughs> but it's just like the more things that he can grab onto to just say, no, and this justifies my actions and my, and my belief structure because, because of this reason over here. Oh, and this one over here as well. Look at this giant pile of reasons for why the world is the way that it is and why I should get my revenge. Yep. Then at the end, he finally sacrifices the last thing he possibly has, and that's his humanity mm-hmm. in order to save humanity 
Hello, irony. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> One last thing I want to talk about, and that is the new powers. We have a couple of new powers in here, right? Carrie, what are the new powers? Julie uh, had that um, bubbly force. Alex could shoot like eight power balls at a time. Yep. So they, they got little upgrades to their powers, right? Yeah. Julie's mass master power, she can finally do something else besides get big and small. She can now kind of save people. She, she can create this force field kind of bubble thing. And then Alex can shoot smaller power balls that are less dangerous and conserve more of his power. So pretty useful. Kind of nice to see. We finally got some upgrade on the kids, right? Yeah, which is really great. Um, you said upgrades on the kids. Do you yeah. mean like all of them? Well, two of them. Jack is always reinventing his power. Yeah. <laughs> and Katie, Katie's just, she's happy being a flyer. Yeah. She's just like, rainbow, rainbow, <laughs> rainbow, rainbow. More rainbows. Well, you know what? You're speaking about rainbows, and I can only think of one thing, and that's a reading rainbow. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and that that brings us to the library card, where we try to find the literature in the comic book. And I'm sitting there talking about reading rainbow. I don't think we've shown you any reading rainbow. I got to get on that. In this book, we saw how the kids finally told their parents about their powers. And that got me thinking about books that I have read that have kids or teens that have powers. There was one book that I thought of, but I just did not think that it would really fit in the story. So I did a little bit of search online to see if I could get other ideas. And the second book that came up on the list was the one that I had thought of earlier. It may not really fit in the context of this comic, but it was one of my favorites when I was younger. And it meant that I did not have to read another book right now because I'm really busy. So here we go. The book is called The Hero and the Crown, and it's a fantasy book written by Robin McKinley. It was published in 1984, and the plot deals with a kingdom in a fantasy realm that is set upon by dragons. The royalty in this kingdom are marked with special powers, gifts that they call Kellar. And this sets them apart from the commoners. The main character, Aaron, the only daughter of the king, has not developed this gift. Instead, as she is isolated from her peers, she develops a fascination with dragon slaying and secretly becomes the kingdom's foremost slayer of these fire-breathing monsters. This is one of those books that I really became fascinated with as a kid. First, I loved the fantasy elements of the book. I was always into the dragon and sword type of epic, so this really spoke to me. Secondly, it had characters that had powers. So this was like some low-leveled X-Men with sword and sorcery, which was awesome. Third, the protagonist was a woman. And that was kind of refreshing to see, especially for me as a young kid in the late 80s and early 90s. The character is vulnerable, yet has a strong will. She makes many mistakes, but is constantly learning. She applies a level of scientific inquiry to her experiments and research. She does not rely on men, even though there are three very strong and imposing men in her life. Erin fights against the expectations that attempt to subdue her interests and goals. I would put this book about middle school or above, just for some of the romantic content in the book, but parents can judge for themselves. So yeah, that, that's what I was going to talk about. I know Carrie hasn't read it yet, because I won't, probably won't let her yet. But Jeff, have you ever read The Hero and the Crown? I actually haven't, and uh, I'm kind of curious about it now, because uh, honestly, a lot of kids' books or young adult books are really good. Yeah, I and like I said, this is a little bit of the above middle school, I would say. I, I think I read it probably somewhere in middle school, but got a couple parts a little adult in there, but I always enjoyed it. It's been a few years since I've sat down and read it. It just has always remained one of those kind of special books in my heart, and I, I always remember rereading it and rereading it. In fact, I remember one time I lent it to one of my friends, and I think she had it for 
I don't know, probably about six months. And when I finally got back to her, it was just kind of beat up. And, and some of the pages were turned. I was like, so did you ever read it? Oh, no, it got stuck in the bottom of my backpack. Yeah, I'm never lending you a book again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if people don't treat your books with uh, respect, it's kind of like, Mm-mm, no, 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 no. You don't yeah. get them any good. Especially a book that I liked. You didn't read respect and then you didn't read it. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's kind of like that's kind of like you giving me one of your test tubes and beakers and I bring it back to you with like burnt crusty stuff at the bottom of it. Yeah, that's bad lab practice right there. That that, that that's my my segue into in, into science corner. It was very subtle. I wouldn't have picked Thank up you. on it if you hadn't have told me. <laughs> In this issue, the love that Jim and Maggie have for their children was apparently enough to drive Carmody to attempted suicide. Yes, it was love that killed the beast, but what is love? Or, in this case, what is the love hormone? Oxytocin is a hormone secreted by the posterior lobe of the pituitary gland, a pea-sized structure at the base of the brain. It's sometimes known as the cuddle hormone, or the love hormone, because it is released when people snuggle up or bond socially. The hormone is greatly stimulated during sex, birth, and breastfeeding. Beyond the warm and fuzzy feelings generated by oxytocin release during moments of intimacy, rising levels of oxytocin provide the rose-colored glasses with which most people view their romantic partners. Those in new relationships have higher levels of the hormone than do single individuals. Studies in humans support the possibility that release of the hormone may decrease the likelihood of unfaithfulness. Well, now you know a little bit more about oxytocin and a lot more on how to defeat your enemies with the power of love. And that is this week's Science Corner. Jeff, you asked, what is love? Well, baby, don't hurt hey, me. Don't, don't hurt, hurt me, me no more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the you know the tune. And, and and for those and for those people playing at home, yes, we were rocking our heads to the side. <laughs> oh yeah. Enough of that shenanigans. We can't be rocking our heads like that. We need to be walking over to those power thoughts, specifically that refrigerator gallery. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about what piece of art in this book needs to be on that family refrigerator. So let's get this party rolling. And I'll go ahead and get it rolling. I want to talk about the family backup one. I'm going to go ahead and start with page 23 of the book. This is the last, last panel. This is where the kids have flown off and they're going off to save more of the city. And they've left their parents who are dealing with shock and, and this just horrible things that have been occurring. And their faces say, look natural, look yeah. natural, <laughs> look natural. <laughs> because their teeth are gritted, their eyes are tearing up, and they've got this look like they've just been hit in the face with two by fours. Yeah, very much so. They uh, are <laughs> shock and sadness incarnate right there, yeah. Jeff, what did you have for your backup funny one? My joke backup one is on page seven, and I call it unnecessary tarp. <laughs> this is the what, what? unnecessary tarp. Like a, like a covering or a sheet, Carrie? Oh, I see she gets saying. it. So this is the very large top panel on this page, and it is uh, when Yurik and Kofi have gone to K7 to uh, see what's going on with uh, Friday because her spark is dying. And they show you in this panel, this is where they're working on Friday, but they've got this intricate kind of uh, just uh, system 
set up around it of scaffolding and it's covered with tarps that is just giving you the idea of what the smart ship shape might be but it's just there's a tarp over the spaceship so that way they're not doing a reveal for you know so they can do the big gigantic reveal in the future instead of showing like a you know a mostly built ship or something where you're like no this isn't exciting but so it's just so super unnecessary because it, it would be like going to a garage it's like you go and get your oil changed and they don't tarp your car to make it like a dramatic <laughs> reveal later for like, and now you can drive 5,000 more miles. <laughs> it's like, voila. Exactly. <laughs> Magic trick. But yeah, so it's just Friday's covered with a tarp for no reason. And that cracks me up. That is a funny, funny thing you found. Carrie, you found something funny yourself, right? Yeah, but it wasn't a funny backup. Well, just give us your funny one now. Okay, it was 23, top panel, and it's and you've got the kids all happy looking after, like, successful looking. You know, Katie's holding on to Alex, Alex, holding, Alex is holding on to Jack, Jack is holding on t- to the parents, who look very frightened. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny, because the kids are all looking all smug and happy, and the parents are like... Are you um, kidding me? They're like, uh, do you guys always go home like this? Yeah. And, and the dad's like, uh, Jack, you sure you can carry us? Because, you know, uh, we're kind of high in the air. So just, just, just asking. <laughs> that is a very good choice. I like it. I like it a lot. Good call on a funny one, Carrie. That is very good. Yep, I like it. Hey. Cho- I like it. Great choice. Let's go ahead and go to page three for my top funny Ooh, one. Three. Okay. And this is in the bottom corner. This is after uh, Carmody has escaped. (laughs) This this was on my list. It didn't make it, but this one's on my list. It's it's after Carmody has escaped, and the girls have flown off after them, and and Jack and Alex are a little perturbed that they're left to their own devices. Alex has gone ahead and started to disintegrate something, and he's powering up, and Jack has jumped off the roof with Alex on his shoulders. He's giving him a piggyback ride. And Alex has got his face like all puffed up as he's jumping up. It is just the most non-heroic pose two kids have ever been in. What, what did you name it? This is not heroic looking. Uh, if I had picked this one, I was going to name it Power Piggyback. Power Piggyback yep. is very good. Power Piggyback. What is your top one, Jeff? My top funny one is on page five, and I call it Unnecessary Leapfrog. <laughs> It is the bottom left-hand panel, and it is, uh, you know, they're attacking Carmody at the beginning, and Julie's clouded the area up, and, uh, you know, Katie's flying in the air, and Jack is, you know, landed. He's kind of going for, like, a kind of a G-hammer kind of move. Alex is leaping off of uh, Jack's back, but it just looks like he's leapfrogging in the middle of battle for no reason. He's all glowed up, (laughs) leapfrogging over his brother, and it's just like, this is a very action-y pose for Alex, and I don't understand why. Yeah, it, it takes right off after riding him like a piggyback yep. and, on his shoulders, and, and and now we got this going on. Yep, and he's just leaping off. Yeah, they they do not they do not have a very heroic entrance into this battle. <laughs> no, they do not. It's like piggyback leapfrog. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to our backup best one, Jeff. I'm going to start with page thirteen, and I call this one the demonic state building. Ah, yep. I just like this scene because you've got, it's an upground shot looking up towards the spire of the Empire State Building, which has been twisted because of Inferno. So you got these techno-organic cables that are coming up to the side of the building and the building's all, and it, it's, it's cracked and it's misshapen a little bit. 
and right there at the bottom, you got Harmony and all of his ugly glory with his green teeth and the slobber coming out of the side. And under each arm, he's got Maggie and, and Jim. He's got Maggie under one arm and Jim under the other arm. And they're both looking like they're passed out. And it's just horrific looking. It's it's just creepy. And, and you just see the menace yeah. of what's going on. Thrilling? Thrilling, yes. It's very it is thrilling. thrilling. <laughs> No, it's great looking. Yeah, and you're you're looking up at a purple sky, and it's got the demonic bat shapes in the sky. It, it, yeah, this was on my list. It didn't make it, but this one is this one is fantastic. That's a great choice. What is your backup one, Jeff? My backup favorite one is on page three, and I call it excellent framing. It is the top panel on this page, and I just really love the way that they've panel they framed this up. It's just the power kids, and they're flying. You know, Julie's a cloud, and Katie's pulling. Jack, who's pulling Alex, but I just love the way that uh, Julie looks in this in her cloud form because yeah. she's kind of covering half of the bottom of the panel and is wrapped around like a third of the right hand of the panel and is covering about three fourths, five you know five sixths of the top of the panel. So it's like she would be like the picture frame for this picture, and I just yeah. It just looks great. I think Julie looks amazing in this. It's just such good cloud art. That's a very good choice. I, I, I really didn't realize how she is kind of framing that with her arm and her body. But that is good. I like that a lot. Good choice. Good choice. Carrie, what do you have for your best panel in this book? It's on um, page 16 in its bottom right. I call it boing because um Julie just... um. The bubbles, and um, you can see the mom and the dad, they're just bouncing up. <laughs> it looks like they're bouncing, so yeah, I like it. it. It's where she saves them, and we got Katie coming down, and like, oh, you saved them, Julie, you saved mom and dad. And Kate or uh, Julie's thinking, maybe my power isn't so lame after all. And you see Jim actually impacting with the bubbles, and her mom's kind of bouncing up in the air. No, that's Boing. a very good Boing. choice. I like it. <laughs> Boing. Boing yeah. is an excellent very good name. choice. Excellent, excellent, excellent name, and it's a great. Great visual of how Julie's new power works. So good choice on picking that one, Carrie. Very good. I liked it. <laughs> My top one is all the way back on page number four. And uh, this, is, this is a little cheat. It's the middle three panels. And it's right after Katie took a hit from Carmody. And you can see the first panel, you can see a little bit of blood like coming out of her mouth and her eyes are closed and her head's off to the side. The middle panel, she's shaking her head as she's shaking off, you know, from being knocked out. And the last one, she's got tears in her eyes and this angry resolve on this on her face. Yes, I can. Very cool. Very, very strong little Katie pictures there. Oh, that is... I'll give you the three panels. I think that's great. Yeah, and that Yes, I Can is in response to Carmody saying, I'm in charge here. There's nothing you can do. I decide if your parents live or die, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Yes, I can. Yep. Yes, I can. Yeah, go yes, Katie. Yes, I can. She's got that determined face. Like, yes, I can. <laughs> yes. You can't. Yes, I can. <laughs> I can. You can't. Good job. All right, that's what I got for the top one. Jeff, what is your top one? My top, top one is on page eight, and I call it BDE. And as we all know, that stands for Big Destroyer Energy. And that is just uh, <laughs> because it's showing the family, and this is when they're walking through the 
uh, limbo scape of New York and they're lost and going, man, the air is so thick and muggy and it's just, we can't recognize anywhere. We don't even know where we are, but it shows all of them walking. But Alex is just walking with this clenched fist determination. He looks like a hero. He, 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 in this panel, he gained the body of like an 18 year old who's in shape because <laughs> he's looking, it's like, yeah. he's pretty trim and, you know, he's got kind of a Spider-Man build going on here. So it's just like, yeah, he's got destroyer energy. He's walking with a purpose. And, but not only that, it's just, you're, you're seeing the skyline of just the, just the twisted kind of cable ridden, overrun destroyed new york and mwah, ah, just looks so good very good picture very good and i i do like this one it is the, the a little bit of a shock when you come back from the chameleon space bay yeah. into this picture and it's like wow we're back into we're back into the world of the inferno mm-hmm. it's just horrific looking the kids are walking through there like they own the place yep and there's a cat yeah there's, <laughs> there's a, cat. a cat yes there I is notice that too speaking of cats and how much I don't really like cats. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about rubber and glue moments. <laughs> what is the best or most childish insult in this book? And Jeff, let's go ahead and start with you for your backup one, sir. My backup is on page 21. And this is after the family is starting to get the uh, the family hug going on and everybody's doing the love fest. And Jack has just been in the background holding Carmody up for like five minutes, just waiting for everybody to uh, get their get their thing going on. And, you know, and Carmody's all like, no, no, this is just fakey fake. It's all lies. But Jack, my boy Jack, everybody's boy Jack, responds with, shut up, potato face. Potato face. The good old potato face. <laughs> Shut up. He calls him potato face a few times uh, yep, in here, he does. too. It, it's just, I'm like, it's already a classic, and I love it. It's a good mm-hmm. one. It's a good one, and it's perfect timing with a flip yeah, behind him, too. Just, so. He's like, don't need you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact he's like, I'm. do I have to keep holding it? I'm done. This is dumb. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. He, he's, he's like, you guys are having a family hug without me. Okay, yeah. shut up, potato face. Yeah. <laughs> Go in the background. Yeah, we, you don't belong yeah. here. Just, I'm just going to join these guys. Exactly. Story's done. We're cutting to credits now. Well, speaking of... Carmody. Let's let's insult the guy a little bit more. Let's go all the way back to page four and insult the guy just a bit more. We were just on this page talking about it. This is where we have Katie coming in as she's left her family and she's going to take on Carmody by herself and she comes in and does a screaming rainbow kick into his back screaming Go on and drop him you mean ugly old monster. That's it. Mean, mean ugly, ugly old, old monster. M- old monster. Sure looks old. <laughs> Katie hits them all right there, and it's a nice, good one, two, three, four punch and a kick to the back, and it does no good. <laughs> but gotta prove the insult. Mm-hmm. Carrie, what is your insult that you chose? It's 10 on bottom right, and it's poop heads. <laughs> if you ask me, that's a pretty big insult. So <laughs> that's my top one. Go ahead and read that on out there. This is where this is where Katie is coming in and screaming in and and punching out all the demon monsters, and she says, "No, you can't have him. You you poop heads." <laughs> that's my top one, and that's a great one. It's Carrie. a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. Ask me. I, that's I could, a big insult. I could not get past that one either. That is a fantastic choice. <laughs> <laughs> you both made a good choice on that one. It is great. And that is uh, an excellent Katie burn. Yes, it is. I, however, did not choose that one. I chose one on page 12. And it is a Carmody line. Carmody had a lot of good insults in this. He did. 
I just love this one so much because this is when uh, the power kids are fighting all the demons and saving the people and rescuing the baby and ah, they're being heroes. Okay, great. But Carmody, the main quest line, has just been waiting in the background patiently all this time and he sees that they're just about to wrap up. So he's all like, you know, dangling the parents over an overpass. Just, you know, it's like, okay, time for me to step in again. He's all, hey, twerps, aren't you forgetting something? Hey, twerps. First of all, hey, twerps yes. is great. But because, again, he's an adult talking to children. It's just like, come on, dude, you're an adult. But hey, twerps, aren't you forgetting something? I just love the fact that he's just like, hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. 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 What about me? What about me? Remember, like, your parents and the whole, <laughs> you got the whole thing going on, and you were like, my parents, no, Carmody. But now you're like, a baby and some strangers. <laughs> I, got, I still have your parents. I do like the twerps. I, the twerps <laughs> is very good. Did you, what'd you think, Carrie? <laughs> that was a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is all well and good, and we all had a very, very good laugh, but you know what? The kids were out there, they were fighting monsters, they were saving their parents. It's time to grade these kids. Who was the best? Who gets the stars? Who's going to go to detention? We got to choose yep. one for each. Who was an inferno and who is just a, a, a wet cloth? Let's start with Carrie. Carrie, who is your detention child? Honestly, I think it's Katie. She didn't really think before she did stuff. She's like zooming through a place they didn't know. That's how she got herself into trouble. Yep. Katie was doing a lot of acting before she was thinking in this one. She was thinking with her heart. She wasn't stopping and waiting for her family. And she was constantly getting herself into trouble. Yeah, but, you know, I didn't quite look at this very much, though. So. No, I agree with you. Katie was my choice, too, for the same reason. She made many bad choices. She was losing her temper. She was running against the boogeyman by herself. I am right there with you. She was also my choice as well, Carrie. Okay. For the same reason, so we think alike on this. Good job. Okay. Jeff, do you disagree with us? Well, not to make it a trifecta, but yes, it's a trifecta. Katie was my uh <laughs> Katie was my uh detention child because yeah, she she triggered two trap cards and just flew <laughs> off and love Katie to pieces, as uh Kwanzaa said. She's five. <laughs> you know, yeah, she she reacted without any consideration of what was going on. And and I also understand it. She wanted to save her parents. But, oh, man, Katie, Katie, Katie. Katie, no. Yeah, Katie, no, no. We need you to stay after school. So I think we're going to have some, some disagreements here, but I think there's going to be good reason for the disagreements. Mm -hmm. Who wants to go first for the best kid? Jeff, go first. Okay, I will okay, go Jeff, first. Okay, Jeff, go first. <clears throat> uh, Carrie, because she joined us and is adorable <laughs> and we love her. And we're done with the podcast. Thank you very much, yeah, folks. Yeah, <laughs> done with the podcast. Now, uh, my uh, star child is actually Julie. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. My too. Hey. Okay, Carrie's too. We're doing another trifecta. Yeah. I got Julie <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, I thought somebody was going to choose Alex, but why, Carrie, why did you choose Julie? Um, I chose Julie because she actually saved her parents in the end. But she also didn't, like, put herself at risk at the same time. Yeah? Those are good reasons. Jeff, do you have any other reasons? She was the only child that never decided to resort to murder. That's a very <laughs> That's good a reason. That's a big one right there. <laughs> yeah. She was just like, whoa, yeah. whoa, maybe this is getting a little out of hand. Do we need to kill this guy? I know he's an evil businessman, but 
killing where you know jack jack immediately jack is the one who brought up the whole yeah let's kill this dude we're gonna just murder him and katie was kind of like yeah i think i'm with jack and alex was like well let's talk about it julie was like whoa 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 whoa, no uh so she never resorted to the idea of murder alex was about to (laughs) yeah that powerball was forming kind of thing so he was he was on board yeah she saved the parents which was really great but also, she triggered the whole love fest at the end just with yeah. kind of the storming off. Just the bump of her mom shook her mom out of her uh, out of her reprieve that she was going through, and she always kind of was the moral base. She she felt bad. She you know she felt bad that her family was developing kind of subset powers and being able to mm-hmm. do more. Where she's just like, I just have the stupid Julie Hammer. I'm not good with it. But she never vocalized that. So she was never yeah. uh, denigrating to any of her family members for getting better and advancing. And that is actually a really good thing because there's a lot of people that will be like, if you're doing better, that makes them unhappy and they don't want people to right. be better than them. So the only other thing I need to add just to that is she kept a cool head at the beginning. <laughs> yes. And that was the big thing. Everybody else at the very beginning was just jumping off and they wanted to do things. And Julie's like, hang on. We need a plan. We need a plan. Now, I was just surprised that nobody chose Alex because Alex was kind of in the running for me too. But two trifectas. <laughs> two trifectas. Good job, us. Let us grade this book now. Now, as of last issue, we have a brand new number one, Power Pack 42, Revenge of the Boogeyman. Surprise, surprise, Dark Horse came in as our new top book our number one book number 10 we have power pack number 12 where they go underground power pack 20 is fishtail where they visit the aquarium and then power pack 30 we've got who's the villain that's where they first meet uh garbage man and trash and coming in at the bottom of the list right now at 48 is x-factor annual number two so i would like to start the bidding now probably somewhere well uh, this is a really good one. I like this one a lot. It definitely does not hit the top. I'm going to say that right now. I don't think it's quite at the top. It's it's better than 20 where they went to the aquarium and uh, the boulder crusher yeah. attacks. I agree. I was I was I was kind of just flipping through a little bit and I saw uh, Uncanny X-Men number 195. It was a dark and stormy night where they get kidnapped by the Morlocks and Katie escapes. Yeah. Somewhere or the other, I kind of feel that that's that we got the same kind of vibe here. There's a lot of violence, a lot of going on. We're kind of in the middle of a couple of, uh, of a story arc. I, I think that's a good, good starting place for it. Mm-hmm. So Jeff, what do you think about that? Uncanny X-Men number 195. Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to, um, that one was really pretty good. Cause that, that was also when uh beautiful dreamer had taken away uh, the memories of the kids from the parents, right? Yeah. 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 That's yeah, it. That's had, that had right, some pathos. And right underneath that is the one that was before it. Yeah. Where the kids got lost underground uh, when they're trying to save a cat. <laughs> I think this is better than saving a cat. I think this one's better than saving a cat. I don't know if it's better than that Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, though. I'm I'm very back and forth on that. I could I could give it to the X-Men and let them rank rank above. Okay. Um, I, 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 could, I could happily put this as the new number 10. All right. That sounds good. What do you think, Carrie? I think number 10 is a pretty good place for this one. Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll put this as the new number 10, and that is Power Pack number 43, The Boogeyman Must Die. Dun, dun, dun. You know what else must die is our beers. We must finish the beer. Mm-hmm. And my water. And, and our water. Because they want to stay hydrated. Yeah. Stay hydrated. Uh, Jeff, what do we think of 
Devil's Coovie Creek. I'm really enjoying this quite a lot. I'm near the end of my glass, and I'm sad that there's not more in existence of it in the household, because I'm like, yeah, I could keep drinking this all night quite happily. Um, yeah, I only brought you one of those. I'm a bad friend. <laughs> no, you're a great friend. You brought this over and uh, wrapped it up and everything. So you even labeled it so you'd know, best open by this date, Jeff. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool. Thank you, Rick. It's Christmas every other week. <laughs> It really is. No, this is fantastic. So I really like it. It smells It smells like it's a cherry beer. It, it smells like a creek. Uh-huh. It smells exactly like what it is. And what it is is really good. It's got the sour flavors. It, the, the taste has not changed no. throughout this entire sitting. No. It's slightly less sour, but that's probably... You're probably just used to it. Yeah, getting used to it. It's the tongue... Yeah, becoming familiar and getting uh, you know desensitized to it. But it, there are some beers we've had where the flavor profile has changed dramatically over an hour it's like time goes on the beer warms up and it becomes like an entirely different beer this is exactly what it is and i love it it's really good i'm i'm four and a half in this one four and a half yeah four and a half i i i'm thinking that this is gonna i'm thinking this is gonna be a four and a half for me too i I was kind of hovering around the four four and a half range i think i'm gonna go ahead and say uh four and a half is about right so a very good book, a solid book placing in the top mm-hmm. 10, a very good beer, very good company, at least on my end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have nobody around me. It's and wonderful. <laughs> you should have a cat with you. I don't even have a cat with me right now. No, I have nobody. I've got, I've got, I've got laundry I'm going to get back to, and that's daughter. it, and I'm okay with it. It's wonderful right now, because normally I'm surrounded. But you guys, you guys do know one thing, though. You may not have anybody there. We may not have anybody around us now, but you know what? You know what? We have people that like us. It's true, we do, and we like them back, and that's the important thing. We do. We even give them shout-outs, too, to say how much we appreciate them listening to us. And, of course, we're talking about shout-outs for Episode 53, Marvel Fanfare 55, The Battle of PS87. AJ. Al Sedano in Resurrections, and Adam Warlock in Thanos Podcast. Andrew Burns. Charles Gears. Charlie Rose. C. Chris Chang. CH0. Chris at BTO Bat Books. Cindy. David Bowman. Death Miss Jonathan. Ed 209. Bozzy. Green Lantern HG, who enjoyed our episode and was impressed at how much he learned. Hoover Jeremiah and the Four Million Years Later, a Transformers cartoon podcast. Jeff Polier. Jeremy Wiggins. Keith Baker. Max Traver. Miles Schneiderman. And the now defunct Smash Fiction crew. Aww. Mr. Rogers Corps. New Warriors Talk. Sailor Bear Zodar. Secret Wars and Beyond podcast featuring Sean. Socially Dismal. Tim Bryce, the pod crasher. And he agreed with our take on Doreen's artwork. Waffles. Who has a great, great podcast. I've listened to some of that. <laughs> I laugh my head off with the... Uh, Give me the Glock. All the Bart's about the Glock. (laughs) We also have a new Patreon supporter. Wind, thank you. What whispering wild words wrap us in wonder? Why, Wind's words. We have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly, self-produced podcast recorded in front of a quarantine studio audience in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, 
Our YouTube channel is Jeff and Rick Present. And if you'd like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My parents and my kitty cats. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off! Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Tempting Secrets. All music is by Kevin McLeod at CompTech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Jim and Maggie take center stage as their kids are out sick and the city is overrun with... Ugh. Lump. Jog, but... Man. Lump. One. Go on and drop them, you mean, ugly old monster. Go on and drop them, you... Okay, you're really upset. Okay. Go on. Lump. Nope. Can't hear you. There's a reason. I can hear you now. Yay! Lump. Destroyed the antimatter pop. <sighs> Destroyed the antimatter. Wow. Destroyed the antimatter. Antimatter. Lump. Yep. Our reader's eye view of the scene shows that Carmody has turned. Yeah. <clears throat> I should probably read what I wrote. <laughs> yep. Our reader's eye. <laughs> Lump. Having put the beat down on the hungry heap of hornaclite. No. Homunculi. Homunculi. No, you can't have him, you, you poop heads. Wow. <laughs> Those are some words. Those are some words. Lump. I, I believe Alex. I believe he totally will. <laughs> I, I trust in him. With that kind of voice and that confidence, oh, Alex is going to do it. You bet. Lump. <laughs> Yay. Oh, oh, it's oh, Power Pack Theater hurts. time. I love it. Oh, my, th- my throat hurts. Thanks yeah. a lot. <laughs> Water along with you. Oh, that's a good point. Mm. Lump. Ooh, Carrie, say, well, well, that was inevitable. Well, that was inevitable. Well, that was in- inevitable. Well, that was inevitable. <laughs> oh, God. Just, just, just copying my voice. Inevitable. 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 Oh, Go ahead, say it, Jeff. <laughs> inevitable. Inevitable. In. <laughs> Ev. Just go ahead and say in inevitable. In ev edible. There you go. Do, do it all together now. Inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be here for a while, Jeff. Go That's ahead and fine. say the line. <laughs> uh, Carrie, give it one more time. Inevitable. Inevitable. There you go. Yeah. Now do now do the line. Do the line. Well, that was inevitable. <laughs> I believe in you, Carrie. <laughs> nope. Lump. You know, Jonah hunting the whale. Jonah. Right? Let me try again. His own Ahab hunting the whale. Shut up. It's a long night. You know, that classic tale of Jonah and the whale. Hey. Hey. Lump. All right. I was attacked by clouds Let's... and rainbows and leapfrogging piggybackers. What's happening with my life? Yeah. <laughs>